when someone understands what they're trying to achieve, when there's a broader goal, then what you were saying, which is the enjoyment of the process happens as a byproduct of it. And every little milestone you make on a day-to-day -day basis feels deeply gratifying. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Welcome back, podcast family. I am so excited to share a recent conversation that I had in person with one of my good friends and real estate partner. His name is Dennis Karamanar, and he's a tech and real estate entrepreneur based here in San Francisco. He's also the founder and CEO of Atlassa, an innovative data-driven real estate brokerage. His passion to use technology, big data, and analytics to optimize and streamline the real estate purchasing process and sales decisions are the main reason he founded Atlassa back in 2018. As a growing tech real estate startup, Atlassa is bringing a new approach to the real estate brokerage in which real estate agents can focus on building their clients' wealth for the long run with the help of big data rather than simply focusing on making commission checks. As a seasoned real estate broker and a tech startup founder, Dennis has been featured in Business Insider, The New York Times, The Atlantic, and Bloomberg. Dennis is also a real estate broker and investor with a background in big data and data science. He formerly served as the head of data analytics and the growth at a company, Inc., which was later acquired by Cisco for over $270 million back in 2018. And prior to that, Dennis was one of the three product managers for LinkedIn Recruiter, LinkedIn's flagship monetization product. His tech experience also includes roles in software, product management, and investing at Microsoft, SAP, Foundation Capital, and Kleiner Perkins. Dennis holds a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science and Electrical Engineering and a Master's of Science in Computer Science from Stanford University. It is my pleasure to share this conversation with you that I recently had with Dennis. Let's dive right in. Welcome, Dennis, to literally the first ever fireside chat and live podcast recording for Grammy's World. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I'm excited to do this. First of all, how's your Friday going so far? Pretty good. As always, early morning, long day at work. You're sort of my brain from it all, so feels good. Awesome. So for the audience listening, and for those of you who might not know, Dennis is a longtime friend. He is an incredible and passionate entrepreneur and somebody who I admire. And 
because he looks at life through a very interesting lens. And one that is full of passion, one that is full of excitement, and really about helping people. So that's what I want to unpack today. I really understand your journey, how you got here, what you're building today, what you're looking forward to in the future, and hopefully disseminate as much wisdom as we can. So we'll do yeah, our best. We will do our best. So to kick us off, Dennis, there's a lot going on this year. There's a lot of noise, there's a lot of commotion, polarity, fractionalization. How do you personally stay afloat, stay hungry, stay ambitious and everything that you do within your real estate business? So the way I look at entrepreneurship is at every step of the way, every time you reach a new milestone, there's a set of five obstacles, 10 obstacles, 20 obstacles. And growing the business is all about overcoming those obstacles. The way I just see it is this year has been another set of obstacles in the form of macroeconomic trends, in the form of regulations that, you know, essentially shifted an entire industry, uh, in the form of uh, a lot of businesses entirely, you know, getting out of the picture and uh, the way we looked at it was to that, that our goal should be to overcome as many obstacles as we can, as fast as we can. And that just being hyper-focused on obstacles and getting through them has allowed us to not only furlough none of our employees, but also to grow the business and hire more employees during COVID. Uh, so I've been very grateful for that and uh, how we, you know, how that came to be primarily was the result of hustle and insane hours of work. I'm sure you know this, Eddie, I work 12-hour days, 14-hour days, and a lot of our team members do the same. And the hard work that everyone put in together allowed our business to grow through COVID, actually. Uh, so very grateful for everyone for that. And uh, going into COVID, one of the big principles I had was that I'm not going to fire anyone. Until, even if I go bankrupt, I'm not gonna fire anyone. I would rather work 20 hour days than to furlough one employee. That was actually one of the big principles I came, came into COVID with. And just being hyper-focused on that really allowed us to also get through it. So very grateful for that as well. So it's admirable and difficult at the same time to continuously have that mindset really value your employees and not every business has that luxury right there are so many industry verticals that struggle right yeah. hospitality is one of them travel is another one and the residential real estate market historically and let's tap into that historically takes some time to catch up with the rest of the recessionary period correct but this one's been an anomaly Right, we had a V-shaped recovery in record time. We don't know if we're truly in a recessionary environment right now. Yep. So, what are you seeing across the Bay Area, especially with the real estate market, as it retains to the residential side, but more so holistically? Because I know you're a big fan of understanding different pockets, different trends, different micro trends that are happening all across the country. Yeah, absolutely. So there are many layers to unpack here. Uh, 
as you know, you're also a real estate investor and a homeowner yourself. There are multiple verticals within real estate. So there's the rental space, which we all know is a great huge hit. There's the residential space, which primarily consists of home buyers and home sellers. And then there's the commercial space that has two big arms. One is retail, think Macy's, and then the other one is office, think WeWork or Lyft or Uber leasing a large office space, right? Now, three out of those four got hurt really, really badly for a bevy of reasons. So the rental space was slaughtered. I mean, a lot of people fled the city for a multitude of reasons. The first one being due to the strict uh, shelter in place in California, pretty much every company has a remote policy all the way likely through 2021 or even the end of 2021. So now that people know that they don't have to be in the city, they don't want to pay $2,500 to $3,000 a month for their small bedroom in San Francisco. So they go somewhere else, they go to San Diego, they go to Hawaii, they go to their parents, save some money. And because the companies didn't have enough time to react, they didn't lower their salaries uh, if, you, if you leave the state. Now the policies that are forthcoming, VMware is a good example, for example, but it's just a Bloomberg article about it. VMware uh, will adjust your salary down if you do leave the state. But I mean, for the first six months of COVID, there was no such policy. So a lot of people just left. So that's the rental space. And as a corollary to that, the office space also took a huge hit because all these large tenants left. And then the retail space is primarily being hurt by the government of California. So really interesting stats. I love being, you know, being at as handled as possible in these situations. California represents 15% of the American economy. 50% of unemployment claims in the United States came from California. Now, why is that? Because the quarantine policies in California are substantially more strict than pretty much most of the rest of the country. And that has directly, that, that has directly resulted in most restaurants, uh, retail, retailers, you know, Macy's, Nordstrom, small retailers, boutiques, and any kind of brick and mortar business to pretty much be shut down. Even now, all the gyms are shut down. Hairdress some hairdressers are open and some barbers are open, but they're allowed to take one client at a time. So the capital expenditures just doesn't make any sense for the business. So that entire space in California has been really, really hurt. Regarding the rest of the nation, it's actually fascinating places like Texas, those businesses are doing much better than in California. So, so this strict quarantine, while it has kept COVID num numbers under check, has you know, really put small businesses under, under duress. Yeah. Finally, let's get to the most exciting part, residential, my specialization. Uh, it's really interesting. In most markets, there's a very strong correlation between the rental market and the residential market. Meaning, if rents decline, home prices decline. Not the case in the Bay Area. The primary reason is we've been actually doing a lot of data scraping on this. Uh, most home buyers, when they buy a home, don't rent it out. The only cohort of home buyers that used to immediately rent out their properties were Chinese sovereign wealth buyers. Chinese or European, primarily Chinese in San Francisco. Europeans buy more in New York and Miami. It's actually interesting how 
the closer you are, the more likely sovereign wealth is likely to invest in your city. And we've, we've been scraping, you know, LLC information because most Chinese buyers don't like to put their name. They don't want, because it's publicly available, they don't want China to know about it. They likely are also very wealthy individuals. They probably uh, want to anonymize their names. So we've been scraping the quantity of anonymous LLCs that are impossible to identify in San Francisco. And around three years ago, that number went down quite a bit after China clamped down on large, uh, what we call whales, large players moving their money out and purchasing real estate or stocks in the United States. So that's not a big factor anymore, which means that most home buyers are actually technology employees who just want to buy and live in their house to build a family. And most of the people who can afford a house are upper Middle, middle class, usually upper middle management in these large tech companies. And if you actually analyze the furloughs uh, across all the companies, none of those people got laid out. Most of the people that got laid out were low-level employees, entry-level analysts. If you look at tech companies, it's usually you know more discretionary spending uh, silos within the organization. What are those things? Recruitment, because you don't have to recruit a lot of people during a recessionary environment. Sales, because you can't close as many sales during a recessionary environment. And marketing, because marketing is more about demand gen and growing the business. So you can scale that down fairly easily without hurting the core product, right? So engineering, engineering, uh, product design, product management, and higher level recruitment, sales, and marketing didn't really get laid off. So the people who got laid off were primarily renters. They weren't owners. The upper management were all home buyers, and none of those people really got affected by COVID. So it's this really fascinating situation where the demand really didn't go away. Some people moved out in that cohort, but not that many. And that's why even in San Francisco, even now, you know, after all the riots, after all the homelessness, after all the camps, after all the tenants leaving and after pretty much every restaurant being shut down, these people are still buying homes and we still see you know, three to five offers whenever there's a good property on the market. The, the corollary of that, however, is some people did leave and they, you know, the immediate question that comes to mind is where they lead to. Uh, the, 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 it turns out that when you have a family, when you're 35, when you're 40, when you're 45, where do you immediately think about going to? If you live in San Francisco, it's not that easy to relocate to Maui or Austin because you're upper management, you have a team, right? And it's ambiguous whether your company will allow you to be a manager remote, right? So a lot of those people went to Mill Valley, they went to Marin, or they went to East Bay, Piedmont, Moraga, Lafayette, uh, the, the region that we call Lamarinda, and then they went to South Bay. So Burlingame is on fire right now. And in those, uh, geographies, we used to see maybe five, six offers. As soon as COVID hit, as soon as things started to settle down a little bit and stocks, the stock market started recovering, we started seeing 10 offers, 20 offers, 25 offers. So it seems that some of the demographic of, of buyership in San Francisco didn't relocate to those areas, but San Francisco didn't collapse like people, like people predicted. So interesting. Uh, I appreciate you dropping so much wisdom there and thoughtfulness. It kind of 
shows who you are on a day-to-day basis. And again, in full transparency, hanging out with this guy, I am privileged to know that you do a lot of research. Thanks when on. you say you work 14 hour days, you really do that. You respect your team despite them following along and really investing that much time. And it's unique, right? I think that's what separates high quality founders, employees. It doesn't matter where you are in your career. That type of work ethic is fundamentally unique and you don't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So let's dig a little deeper and really understand where does that come from? Right? Where does this hustle, this tenacity, this thirst for adventure and understanding and learning, where does it come from? I would say the biggest thing it comes from is uh, the fact that I'm an immigrant. So it's much, much harder than people think to migrate to the United States. Why? Uh, number one, you have to get into a good school. Number two, after you get into that good school, you need to really perform high in that good school. And number three, you need to get a good employer to sponsor your green card so that you can actually stay in the country long-term. You don't really have an option. Some people manage to do this, but very, very few, 0.001%. But some people manage to to found a company right out of school, but you're not really allowed to do that due to regulations. So your only real option is to go to a top-notch company and then to get that top-notch company to sponsor your green card. Now, if you're that top-notch company, in order for that company to justify hiring you, spending you know, tens of thousands of dollars on your entire visa process, and hiring talent to project manage that visa process, you need to be that much more qualified and that much more hardworking than the American counterpart. There's no other way to rationalize a company hiring a person like that, or you need to have a specialized skill set, right? And you need to build that specialized skill set. So from the offset, when I was in Turkey, I knew about this. I knew it was really hard to come here. Uh, My goal was always to go to Stanford uh, and and study computer science there. I ended up doing a double major in electrical engineering and computer science. Uh, From age 14, I told myself, I want to go there. And you're going to ask why, Dennis. (laughs) Um, couple reasons. So number one, Turkey is a great country. Don't get me wrong. Beautiful geography. One of the biggest issues I had in elementary school was I was kind of a nerd. I was hardworking. It's because both parents are professors, you know, and I used to be bullied because of that. People used to call me a nerd. Some people got physical and, you know, in private schools in Turkey, the administration is not always that great. So they kind of overlook it. Even if you go talk to the principal, it won't make a difference. So I just had a tough elementary school time. And I said, I want to go to a place where people appreciate hard work. And, and all of my friends are also nerds, but they're also social. And the immediate first thought came to Stanford. We had a family friend who went there and we knew the weather was nice. And I also knew that a lot of founders came out of it. And I always wanted to be a founder. From age 14, I knew I wanted to go there. So at that point, I sat down and asked myself a few questions. How do you get into Stanford? Or how do you get into a good school in the United States? You have to have stellar grades. You have to have a personality. You have to have a core. And they need to see that you have a core. So you need to actually build a personality and and have a vision for your life 
at a very young age, which was difficult to ponder. So I did a lot of self-development through high school to, to do that. Um, and, and it paid off when I got to Stanford. And then even, even at Stanford, you know, if you underperform, you get a lot of B's and C's. A, you're not going to get a job, even from Stanford, right? Like the diploma doesn't mean anything if you don't succeed. Yeah. Um, a, you're not going to get a job. And B, you're not going to get a green card sponsored. And in fact, if we look at Stanford grad internationals, not all of them are able to stay in the United States. So even, even that diploma doesn't really mean anything unless you have that consistent work ethic. So from the moment that I was 14 until pretty much now, I've been constantly grinding and, and setting new goals. And at one point it becomes a habit. And I, I sort of realized that now when I don't have that uh, formational goal setting mindset, I'm not, I am uneasy. I'm not that happy. And whenever I set new goals and achieve them, number one, I really enjoy the process. And number two, I enjoy the process of setting new goals. And what I didn't mention is that I don't necessarily like achieving the goals. I think it's a byproduct of the process. And I think that's one of the biggest self-development steps that one can go through. You know, getting a nice car, getting a nice job doesn't really mean anything. You've got to really enjoy it, right? So thank you for sharing that. I know very often people struggle to convey how they feel, who they are, and it takes a toll on them, right? Mm -hmm. Your self-identity is so important, yeah. right? I completely empathize with you, and I think that's why you and I have this deep bond. We both felt nerdy, and we didn't necessarily fit in with everyone. And again, I grew up in America despite being an immigrant. You grew up in Turkey, yeah. and you experienced something very different. Mm -hmm. But that habit formation starts at a very early age. Mm -hmm. And habit formation can start at any age. Yep. For us, we were fortunate that because of our circumstances, because of being bullied or being in an environment where we didn't fit in necessarily with everyone else, with everyone else we channeled our energy through a different medium, mm -hmm. which was focus on school, focus on the future, focus on doing things better. And we've achieved that. And then you said something incredibly important. And I want to pause there and really dig into that, which is money does not buy you happiness. Money does not buy you happiness. And it is so important to remember that because the journey that you went through is what gave you joy, mm -hmm. right? Accomplishing your goal to get into Stanford, accomplishing everything that you have, having worked at Microsoft, LinkedIn. Uh, there are so many notable companies in there, and they're the ones that provided you sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And you've gone through that route. So I commend you for doing that. And I want you to really help us understand today, especially in your company, yeah. right, at Lhasa, how, how do you teach others to develop positive habits, strong habits that are going to help them become stronger individuals, better employees, better people? What is it that you provide them that you can disseminate out with the audience? So I would say, I would say coaching is the number one most important thing in an organization. I spend a lot of time with my employees. I spend a lot of time uh, telling them how they can focus their efforts. Uh, the 
most important thing that most managers don't do is to ask, is to not ask their employees what their goals are and what they're trying to achieve and what they enjoy on a day-to-day -day basis. There needs to be synergy between your day, day job and what you viscerally enjoy doing. I'm going to talk about myself. Uh, I spend a lot of time doing product development. We do a lot of data products, spend a lot of time doing data analysis and coming up with new insights about the real estate market. I viscerally enjoy those things. So even if I was making zero dollars from those two things, I would be doing it. And that's actually, you know, in the first year to a year and a half of the business, we didn't, we pretty much didn't make any revenue and any of the revenue we made, I spent on growth. So I made zero dollars in the first year and a half of the business. And if I didn't necessarily enjoy doing this, I wouldn't be able to sit down and do this for 10, 12 hours a day. And I think the same principle applies to employees, right? You get a job and, and most people find themselves stuck in a nine to five uh, cycle where they don't really viscerally enjoy what they're doing and they don't really get the purpose of what they're doing. So what we try to do within our organization is to really explain what we're trying to achieve make sure people are aligned even before we hire them, right? What we're trying to do is to make real estate more honest and transparent. That's our goal. Do you want to achieve that goal? And what are you willing to do for it is one of our interview questions, actually. Uh, and if, if someone doesn't feel necessarily passionate about that goal, maybe it's not a good fit. And very few companies don't, very few companies actually ask that question. I, I found that when someone understands what they're trying to achieve, when there's a broader goal, then what you were saying, which is the enjoyment of the process happens as a byproduct of it. And every little milestone you make on a day-to-day -day basis feels deeply gratifying. That's awesome. Hey there, listeners. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that as a part of Career Meets World, I am now taking on exclusive one-on-one -on -one clients who are hungry leaders or entrepreneurs and want to learn how to succeed under immense pressure. I believe that being an effective business leader is equal parts understanding your subconscious and developing and executing a personalized growth plan. These two aspects continually build upon each other and my coaching practice is designed to amplify your confidence levels and provide you a toolkit to thrive in any situation. Career Meets World is the ultimate achievement partner, and we support our clients with an always-on approach. So if you're ready to unleash your wildest leadership potential and take control of your success, find Career Meets World or me personally, Edward Gorbis, on LinkedIn and shoot me a short message about your goals with the title, Let's Start. And now it's time to get back to today's episode. Say, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, right? If you're a healthcare professional, if you're a real estate agent, if you're in a more traditional corporate environment working as a marketing, finance, sales, product, engineer role, it doesn't matter. We can all use an element of self-growth and to continue this journey. So for you again, what does that look like today? Because you mentioned you enjoy the process today. There's not this driving need to come to America, come to Stanford, right? Now you're blossoming. You're, you're working on your business. It's continuing to expand. Mm -hmm. 
But what are you doing personally to self-develop? Uh, I have this rule, multiple things. So there's, there's the professional angle, and then there's the personal angle, and they're very interwoven, right? It turns out that any personal skill you learn actually helps you grow your business. And that's something people don't appreciate. Very good example. I learned sailing because I love the ocean a few years ago. And it turns out that a lot of business deals are done on a sailboat uh, when you're, you know, actually becoming friends with someone and building a connection with them, right? Uh, from on the personal angle, every year my goal is to learn one or two new skills. What can that be? Sailing. For this year, it's 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 actually salsa dancing. So I, during COVID, it's hard. But uh, I've been taking some Zoom classes with friends. That's one thing. Uh, so I tried to learn at least one additional skill. And then the other one this year is, I've never done weightlifting. So I decided to get into that a little bit and really put that into my routine. So every year I'll, I'll decide to do one or two things. And then I actually follow through and do those things, which is really cool because it expands the amount of things you can do with your life. If you're not salsa dance, you can go to additional venues. So any given Friday night, if you now know how to dance, you can go to a salsa club or you can go to a Latin club and you can dance with, right. with your partner, et cetera. Um, so just, it just broadens the horizons. On the pro professional angle, uh, I read a lot. I, I usually listen to audiobooks, primarily off of Audible, and I try to consume one book a week. I usually fail in that goal, but I'm fairly consistent in consuming at least one book every other week. And right now, most of the books I'm reading are in the negotiation sphere. It's really interesting. It's, it's, there, there are hard skills and soft skills. So soft skills are hard to learn, right? Because there is no way, it's not like math, where you put in parameters and there's a definitive answer. When, you, when you're practicing developing your interpersonal skills, like in negotiation, you don't really know if you're doing it right the first time you do it, or the second time you do it, or the third time you do it. You kind of have to do it 30, 40, 50 times. And when you're doing it 30, 40, 50 times, for example, in, in terms of negotiation, one of the books I'm reading says you should try to negotiate everything just because of that, right? Because you don't want to wait until that big business transaction to apply the book you read, uh, the negotiation book you read for the first time. You want to have been practicing, but you don't get the ability to negotiate on a day-to-day -day basis. So the book says, when you're buying a pencil, try to negotiate the price off that pencil. When you're getting your power wash, try to negotiate that. Try to negotiate everything and apply the principles in the book. Uh, and and that's, that's sort of the only way to, to grow the soft skills. And I've been really working on that this year. And it's been, it's been hard, but it's a very gratifying journey. You're speaking my heart because I think you know how much I love to negotiate. And oh, yes, I do. And it's, it's this hard skill to master, but I love what you said, which is try to work on it day by day and apply it everywhere. Yep. It might fail 99, 999 times. It doesn't matter. It's more about the consistent commitment to success. Correct. And even the interesting thing is it's not binary, right? It's, it's not like 
I learned negotiation. Now I'm a hundred percent negotiator, right? It's more, it's more like, a, it's like a muscle. You, you strengthen it over time. So if you do actually commit to it and you practice it every day while consuming the material over and over again, you'll realize at one point looking back that you're 20 times better than what you used to be. But you can't make that realization unless you practice it consistently. And that's why it's so hard to develop it, right? Because there's no one patting you on the back telling you you've gotten better. It's not like weightlifting, you know, you can gradually lift more weights. It's fully soft skill. Totally. Yeah. Let, let's use a funny analogy or story back in our past, right? Do you remember the first time you learned how to type? I don't. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But you're probably a prolific typer. Yeah. You can use your thumbs to text friends. And it's a silly example that portrays that we're able to learn. And then once things become muscle memory, yeah. it's innate. It's the same thing with soft skills. Yep. So I think it's incredible that you're introducing new elements into your life every single year. Mm-hmm. And I recommend anybody listening, anybody watching to do the same. Think about what you've always aspired to, to accomplish, to, to learn, to ingest, to help others and really introduce that into your daily habits until it becomes a true habit, until it becomes muscle memory. And I'm curious now, you mentioned you try to read a book a week. You said you sometimes fail, you're sometimes probably reading an average of two books a month. Yep. What are your, some of your go-to favorite books? Uh, one of my favorite books that I've reread this year is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I'm well, sure you've read the book. Former FBI investigator? Yes, yes. He was negotiating hostage situations. So there's a, there's a cartel group that kidnaps someone. They threaten to kill the person unless the family pays $400,000 or a million dollars or $5 million. And this guy's literally negotiating that person's life. Uh, and, and even then he didn't just fold, which is just such a profound lesson because most people, most people don't realize that you can negotiate everything. And, and I think that's a very fundamental lesson in, in, uh, in life. The other book that I really love is called the real estate game. I I forget the author's name. I read it a few months ago, but it's an incredible book because it conceptualizes the realm of real estate. What I mean by that is a lot of people think that you can only make money in real estate if you fix and flip a property. You can only make money in real estate if you're a broker. You can only make money in real estate if you buy land and build on it. The reality is You can make money in real estate in tens of thousands of ways. You can buy your primary residence. You can rent out two bedrooms. You can buy a fixer. You can renovate it. You can rent it out and never sell it. Or you can refinance it later. There are an infinite number of routes people can take. And there's no one source or one solution, one silver bullet that you can employ to make money from real estate. And the most optimal way that maximizes everything is it's, you kind of just need to get into it. And it's one of the books that really puts things into a framework. I think one of the components is lifestyle, right? Like how busy are you? Can you manage the project yourself? Or do you need to fully 
let other people do it for you, then building a team really matters, right? Like similar to building a company, if you're buying a rental property, you have a property manager, you're a lawyer, you have a person to probably manage the property manager, you have a maintenance person, so you have a whole team and you have a realtor to buy and sell the real estate. So you have a group of these people, they need to all perform, they need to all be honest, they can't slack off, right? Because property managers always do that, we all know this. So uh, it also talks about a very profound lesson in real estate, which is building the team matters as much as building your team within your startup if you are the founder of that startup. And most people just stumble into real estate with the wrong team. Uh, and, and the book really conceptualizes all of that, which I really enjoyed. It's awesome. Yeah. So let's do something a little bit different and take a quick break and check out if we have any questions from Instagram. Yeah. So it. let's take a quick peek. Um, if you have any questions, thank you for joining us. We have Hanan, Sam, Goldie. If you have any questions, feel free to throw them in. Um, otherwise, we will keep rocking this and move it along. So we'll monitor periodically. Um, Look, you're reading, you're learning how to solve sedans, you've learned how to sail, you are constantly hungry and looking to improve. I want to, one, thank you for joining us today. And before letting you off the hook though, I'm going to ask you three very fun questions, three hot seat questions, right? We're gonna do this live and I'm just gonna spitball. Whatever comes to mind, we're gonna go. So, sure. are you ready, Dennis? I'm ready, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's imagine you had an unlimited budget and you went to Times Square and you could write one message to everyone to see. What would you share with them? Question the narrative. Question the narrative, love it. Next question, it's your last meal. Who do you invite and get three people at the table? And where do you take them? Alive or dead? Either. Oof. Hemingway? Yeah. This is a really good question. Lots of options. Hemingway, um, probably Barack Obama. I think he's a brilliant guy. Like from, from a political savviness perspective, as soon as he left, there was discord. So there's, there's still a void that, that has yet to be filled for sure in the guy's absence. And he did it masterfully. And let me think. Honestly, I would probably have you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I going to have a friend in there. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I love that dinner. Hemingway, Obama, you and I. Yeah. Where would we go? Uh, probably on a boat, I would say. Okay. Maybe ask catering brought in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, I love that. So one final question for you. And really, look, the world as we started this conversation is in a polarizing state. Yep. There's a lot of noise, there's a lot of things going on. 
What's your recommendation for people based on the habits that you were able to build? What's your recommendation to make sure you set yourself up for success in 2021 and even call it a five-year plan? Uh, I think, I think in 2021, for the short term, if you're a business person or an employee in a large company, one of the best things you can do is to ignore the social narrative. Honestly, like you should do things about it, right? If you care about a cause, for example, I have a friend, he really cares about homelessness. He dedicates a part of his income to getting people out of poverty to their jobs. And he mass emailed all of his friends and he got a lot of us to, uh, uh, donate to nonprofits that he cares about. You should always have a part of your life that you dedicate to helping others. But beyond that, all the po political noise is a waste of time. Don't waste your time on it. Like spend, if you want, shut off all news and TV and everything. You can listen to it once a month. But if you really consume it day to day, if you get angry, it's an entirely waste of time in my opinion. Because at the end of the day, no one's going to lift you up, right? No one's going to grab you by the hand and lift you up and help you build your life, help you build your career. If you're single, help you find your spouse. No, one, no one's going to actually help you in life. You're really alone and it's just you and your friends. And then the people you influence and help in a direct fashion. And by helping, I don't mean posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, about a political message, I mean actually going out and helping people. So, so being really hyper-focused in that regard is really important. We're in a very tumultuous time. The more focused you are on what you're trying to achieve and what are the next four action items that can get you there, the more successful you'll become. And it's about discipline, right? Because it's fun. I mean, politics is fun, right? Polarized environment, it's fun. It gives you a little dopamine boost to be outraged on a day-to-day -day basis, but it doesn't build you as a person, right? I love that. And you said something super important, right? Is the fact that it's fun because it gives you that dopamine hit right away. And I want to remind people that there's other ways to get dopamine hits every single day. The ones that will actually benefit you, ones yes. that will help you. Can work out, you can read a book, you can go shoot hoops with a friend, you can go swimming, you can crochet, yep. whatever it is. There are other ways to get dopamine hits. Be mindful of what you're consuming and how it's impacting you. I'm actually curious. Last question for you. Have you seen the social dilemma on Netflix? Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I've been hearing about it. It's awesome because it's a lot of former executives that work at Facebook. Chamath Palahapatia is on it. Uh, a lot of the founders from Pinterest. Oh, yeah. There. And they all acknowledge that what they built was intended to provide good for society, to connect people, to provide positivity through something as simple as likes. But now it's turned into a tool that's been arguably weaponized in a way to influence people that drains time out of your life. Yes, correct. And like you said, nobody is coming to save you. Nobody is coming with a white horse and a cape to save you out of your own rut. You have to do the hard work. You've always done the hard work. Yeah. I commend you for doing that. So I think for anybody listening, for anybody uh, who really appreciates real estate and learning and has a continuous hunger, 
what's the easiest way for them to stay in contact with you personally, as well as with your company at Lhasa? So uh, you can always find out more about the company at Lhasa. It's atlas, the word atlas, and then the letter A, dot com. And then my email is Dennis, D-E-N-I-Z, at atlasa.com. So you can always reach out to me, and I'd love to help anyone with anything. Especially, you know, if you're trying to foray into real estate, uh, I, I have a lot of experience in uh, real estate investments outside of California, as well as within California. That's, that's the cool thing about it, right? Like, if you can't afford a $1.5 million house in San Francisco, I, I highly encourage my friends who are in that situation to look into buying their first property outside of California and also building a good team. Uh, so I have a lot of people I can introduce them to, but I, I also have uh, tactical advice on that front as well. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely be sure to share everything about Atlassa, yourself, in the show notes. And again, Dennis, thank you so much. And as we always say at Career World, go unleash your wildest potential. Thank you, everyone who joined us on Instagram. Thanks so much, Dennis. Thanks awesome. so much, my friend. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.